0: All right, now it is my pleasure to introduce to you all our amazing speaker today. You're going to have no idea who it is. It is the wonderful Paul Edlin. So Paul, if you would like to come, I know you won't come up here, but maybe I'll just say a quick prayer He's for you. On yeah. Thank yeah. you. Lord, we just thank you for this amazing man who has come in. He's filled in this space and he is doing great things through you. In this church, and I just thank you that we get to hear His words of wisdom, mm. your words, today as He preaches on finance, one of those topics that can be a bit touchy. So, Lord, mm. we just ask that we will hear Your wisdom and mm. Your words through this yeah. man in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tori. Thank you, Tori. She said it's a it's a touchy subject. So, I was solicited from a long uh, selected from a long list of applicants to bring this message apparently I was the only one. Uh, but before I start, um, how many um, sports fans do we have here? Put your hand up. Okay, is there anyone who is a blue supporter from Auckland here this morning? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. In the 21 years that uh, Christine and I and her family spent in Wellington in ministry, um, we left Christchurch in 71, um, yeah, uh, 2000, not 71, 2001. And um, got to Wellington, and one of the questions at the church we were going to, our first church, one of the questions that the search committee asked was, are you going to support um, the hurricanes? And the answer was a definite no. And I'm glad that I didn't, because we've won ever since here in Christchurch, and now we're back and we're still winning. It's wonderful. I love it. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Now, I'm going to run through a number of scriptures this morning. They will come up on the screen. Can we go back to the uh, title, please? Thank you. I'm going to run through a number of scriptures this morning, and most will come up on the screen. Um, So please stay with me on this because, as Tories already said, um, the issue of money for some people is a big deal, but from God's perspective, it's not. It's just another subject, it's just another thing, Um, and it's part of His kingdom. Um, the reason why we're sitting in this magnificent building, this whole facility, is because a whole bunch of people, long before you turned up, sewed into the vision of this church. Do you know what this facility is worth, including the land? Any idea? Any idea? Up somewhere between six and seven million, I would say. And we've got no debt. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And because of that, you can do a whole lot more other things. So God is clearly not not worried or or concerned um, or put off by money at all. In fact, he owns it all. It's all his. And we just get to steward it. So we've just completed a series on prayer. And I'm going to do this one-off message on money. but But the word giving is probably a better way of saying it as opposed to money, we're talking about giving, and specifically our giving, and it kind of dovetails into prayer, because this is one of those issues where, at the end, and I hope you see this, at the end of the day, I can't tell you what to do, and you can't tell me what to do, Brian, you can't tell me what I should give, or how much I should give, that's between me and God, but it is something that I do need to pray about, yes, and the word is very clear about that. It's something that I need to be praying about and talk to the Lord about that. Um, So before we start, I want to say this. St. Albans Baptist Church is an incredibly generous church. Someone say amen. Incredibly generous. Not just generous, but incredibly. Everyone say incredibly. Because if you're Jan and Andrew Bovey, you're here this morning, you would have seen they received an incredible offering from the life of this church. If you want to know how much it is, go and ask them. But before they came back from overseas, after 30 plus years on the mission field, God blessed their return. And, the, and, the, and before that, last year, when we did the renew offering, um, uh, we did that offering in, uh, here for our uh, missionaries overseas in the Baptist Union, that missionary offering increased by 400 plus percent from the year before. So please don't tell me that this is a mean church. Because it's not. It is incredibly generous. But I want to say this also this morning that all that we have actually belongs to God. We just get to steward it. You might have noticed in this church, if you knew, that we don't take up an offering in our services. And there are a lot of new folk here now. So given that Jesus said more about money and possessions than he ever did about heaven and hell, this is probably something we do need to talk about and touch on every now and again. So in our church... The system that we use is we encourage our people to go into automatic payment, uh, automatic um, uh, deposits, um, but we also have an offering box right at the very back up up there on the way in or the way out. You can use that for your convenience, but most people um, uh, just just give automatically because it's a lot easier to do it. So the principle that we use in this church is simply this 2 Corinthians 9.7, which should come up on the screen. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of? God loves a cheerful giver. The story goes, on their way to church, a mother gave her child a $1 bill and a quarter. It's American. Sweetheart, the mother said, you can place either one in the offering plate. It's entirely up to you. As they were driving home, the mother asked the daughter what she had decided to give. Well... At first, the daughter said, I was going to give the dollar. But the man behind the pulpit said, God loves the cheerful giver. So I figured I would feel much more cheerful if I gave the quarter. (laughs) You know, over 21 years, 22 years now, uh, of being in full-time pastoral ministry, on the issue of money, this has been my experience. Most people will be willing to share with you their deepest personal experience issues wouldn't that be true Bruce and Karen they're willing to share that but when it comes to talking about their money specifically their giving it's kind of like you know Paul I'm happy to discuss anything with you but when it comes to my money well that's between me and God that's private that's my business Now, I'm not exactly sure why that is. Perhaps some of you can enlighten us. Anyone want to give a... No, I didn't think so. But what I can tell you, and this might come as a surprise, one-sixth of the Gospels, including one out of every three parables, touches on the principle of stewardship. Did you know that? Well, you do now. And this morning, we're going to look at what God had to say about tithes and giving in the Old Testament. That's under the law. Then we're going to look at what Jesus says in the New Testament regarding our giving under this new covenant of grace, which we are under today, right now. And by the end, hopefully, we will have a right kingdom understanding of money. In other words, what belongs to him and what belongs to us. Please hold that thought. Okay, we're going to start in the Old Testament. I'm going to walk you through, and a number of scriptures will come up. What does the Old Testament have to say about specifically tithes and offerings? Let's start there. See, a common misunderstanding, a common misunderstanding on tithing is that the 10% that the Old Testament mentions only applied while the nation was under the law of Moses. The, their argument is, now that Christ has fulfilled the law, tithing 10% is no longer valid. Well, let's see. Let's see what Scripture actually says. In the Old Testament, the first mention of giving a tithe, and in the Hebrew language, a tithe means a tenth. Yeah? So the first mention of giving um, a tithe predated the law of Moses. It came before the law of Moses. We see this in Genesis 14 20. Abraham's returning after defeating the four kings, and he met this guy called Melchizedek, um, who said, And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then, well, I'm going to say Abraham because it's easier to say he had a name change, and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth, or a tithe, of all the goods that he had recovered in that battle. Now, the first, please note that that happened, listen, 600 years before the law of Moses. Hello? 600 years before. The first mention of a tenth or a tithe, Abraham is giving Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered in battle. Now, this next part is so, so important to understand in its context. Listen to this. In Genesis 14, verses 20 to 23, and I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but please note this. Please note this. It wasn't commanded by God. It was not, everyone say, it was not a law. It was not a law. Abraham gave a tenth only of the goods he had recovered in battle. The remaining 90% he could do with whatever he wanted. And he actually gave it back to the king he had defeated. But let's move on. He gave it all back, didn't keep any of it. This giving of a tenth to Melchizedek was of his own free will. Abraham did not expect any, whoops, anyone else in his household to do the same. Is that clear? So the first mention of tithing, 10%, was not a law. It was not commanded from God. Church, it was a free will principle. Everyone go, phew! that's good to know. The second mention of giving a tenth or a tithe is in Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Uh, then Jacob made a vow. Here we go saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be, will be God's house. And of all that you, that's a capital Y, you God, give me, I will give you God a tenth. Jacob vowed of his own free will. It's not a law to give God a tenth, give back to God a tenth. Now, both these incidents show us two things. Firstly, they believed that all they had actually came from God. That's what they believed. Secondly, they acknowledged that by giving freely back to God one-tenth. 600 years before the law was given, church, biblical history records only two instances of giving a tenth, and both of them, say this with me, were free will offerings. Let that sink in. They were free will. We're, in the, we're talking in the law now, Tory, the Old Testament, where everything was done like that, free will. So important to remember that, because this subject has been so misused over the years by some people, and I want to correct the record on on this whole thing about giving. So fast forward now 600 years to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Now it becomes a law. Moses included it in the how many laws were there originally? 600 and... 13. 613. The book of Leviticus outlines regulations for worship, religious ceremonies, sacrifices, and offerings. Moses commanded that the tithe, thats now law, okay? He commands it, uh, was to be brought to the treasury in the tabernacle. That's their house of worship. If you like, that was the, the, the church. Leviticus 27.30 says this. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, some today interpret this verse to mean, listen to this. Because money is not mentioned, it only mentions grain and fruit. We don't need them to tithe our money. That would be their argument. I've heard this so many times. Okay. Okay. Well, let's see what Scripture actually says. Money is not mentioned in that verse, absolutely. But you have to read it in its context. Here's the context. The produce of their land was their most common form of currency. They traded with it. That's what they used. They did have money. They had shekels. They were silver coins. But what they traded with mostly church was their produce. Therefore, whatever was produced from the land was to be tithed. Verse 30 says, a tithe of everything, everything from the land. Here's a thought to you. What if they were to trade their farm with the house and the barn included? If they were going to trade that? How would they tithe that sale? Because it was expected. It was the law. How would they tithe that sale? Because it would make no sense to sell the property minus the barn and physically pick the barn up and take it to the treasury and say, here's the tithe. That's just silly. It wouldn't work, would it? Therefore, to obey the law which was expected, they would give a tithe in monetary value, in a monetary form, say again, to the value of the sale. Does that make sense? So it says here, verse 31 whoever, uh, and that, sorry, that system now of transferring is called redeeming. Old Testament, it's called redeeming. And verse 31 says, whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. That should be the next slide. If it's not there, then that's my fault. So here we go, church. Moses specifically mentions this thing called redeeming. But in the context now of money... And to understand that in its context, we need to go back to verses 2 and 3, which says this. Here we are. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord by giving the equivalent value, notice that, the equivalent value, we're talking money here, set the value of a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels of silver. How do you feel about that, guys? That's all you're worth. 50 shekels of silver. That's it. And of course, you ladies, you're priceless. (laughs) (laughs) Who was it that said that? (laughs) Okay, Bruce, I'm going to pick on you later on. In context... Vows were made to give either a possession or some form of service in the temple. If the vow could be kept, if it could not be kept, say again, it could be redeemed in silver shekels. Now talking about money. And that money was to be given to the temple. But if you chose the option to redeem your vow in money, if you did that, if you said, I'm going to give my um, dedicate my son to the Lord, to the temple, like uh, what happened for um, Samuel, I'm going to do that. And for some reason you didn't or couldn't do that, you could redeem that vow by actually paying for it with silver shekels. Does that make sense? It's called redeeming. You could choose, but if you chose that option you must add a fifth or 20% more of the value to that gift. So better to stick with what you vowed in the first place. But if you changed it, you had to add another 20%. So for those that say money was not mentioned, therefore today we don't need to tie their money, that's taking this text completely out of context. Make sense? Staying in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.10, talking about money. This is one that you'd know well. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. Another common misconception. Some claim that Malachi is talking only to the priests here and not the To the people. Again, let's look at the context. Malachi in chapter 2 is absolutely addressing only the priests with that. Only the priests. And he says, And now this admonition is for you, O priests. And he continues to talk to the priest, a select group of people, right up until we get to chapter 3, verse 5. When he then addresses not just the priests, but the whole nation. And uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation. He's talking to the nation, not just the priests. See the switch? Context is so important. A whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Two points here. Malachi distinguishes between tithes, a tenth, and offerings. In the Hebrew, tithes means a tenth, as I said before. Their tithe was to be given into the temple treasury, and that was expected. And their failure to support its ministry was considered equally to robbing God. But verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Malachi mentions only their tithe and offering is not in view there. But the second one in verse eight, the Hebrew word is offerings, we've interpreted offerings, which means special gift, contribution, or we call it today a love gift. That's what we did for Andrew and Jan. That's what we did for the renew offering last year. It was a love gift. It was over and above the tithe which comes into the storehouse to run, captain the ship, if you like. Can you see the difference? But they could choose or choose not to give an offering. It wasn't the law? In Malachi, the 10% was, but not the offering. Yeah? Now we come to the New Testament, and this is where really, it gets really exciting. What does it have to say about giving, as it relates to our money? Now, I, I, I preambled this part, which is actually to land this message. You need to understand it through the framework of the Old Testament first, because I think the 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 uh, some some preachers and and churches preach so much from the Old Testament about giving, they're actually charlatans ripping people off because they're taking the text out of context. And we try not to do that here. Let's keep it. Let's keep our eye on the ball. What did Jesus actually mean when he talked about giving? um, Offerings um, Giving is the word, not 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 tithe in this case. Over the years I've also heard some say, giving was expected under the law, but we're not under the law anymore. Therefore, we're under grace, and giving does not apply. How many have heard that one? Apart from all the pastors, next pastors here. Okay, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say on the subject of giving. Firstly. Jesus' words in Matthew 5.20 um, outlines the New Testament principle on all matters of faith and practice. And here it is. For I tell you, he's talking to the Pharisees, his friends. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom um, of heaven. According to Jesus, what was required under the law under grace now is to be exceeded because it says, surpasses that of the Pharisees. What was required under the law, which the Pharisees were very good at telling everybody about the law, Jesus said it must surpass that. It's an attitude of heart. Then later, Jesus specifically mentions tithing later in Matthew 23. Verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. What's he saying? The latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. What was that? Their giving. Here Jesus made it clear that they were not to choose one over the other. They were to practice both. Everyone smile. They were to practice both. One, two. Church, God is not against money. He's not against resource. He's not against you increasing your economy, buying businesses, homes, doing whatever. He is not against any of that stuff. Because if he was, how do you explain Deuteronomy 8.18, which says this? What do you do with that? Throw it out? What are you going to do with that? Someone, someone want to Respond? What do you do with that verse? Just get the razor blade and cut that out of your Bible we are not, not going to go there? No, of course you don't. Let me read it to you. The Lord your God, for remember, for it is he who gives you the ability to grow your economy. God is not against money. We all know what he is against, don't we? What is it? The love of money. Do you have money or does money have you? As Martin Luther said, people go through three conversions. The first is the conversion of their head, the second, the conversion of their heart, and the third, the conversion of their pocketbook. Unfortunately, not all at the same time. (laughs) Here's a final thought Scripture tells us that we can't test God on anything. That is, except when it comes to our money. Malachi 3.10 and 11. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Church, that is. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not, not be room enough to store it. You know that word test is a Hebrew word, um, bah, bahan, B-A-H-A-N, which literally means Put to the test. That's what it means. Do you realize that every time you get paid, every time your finances increase, we take that test too? We take that test too. How are we off the time? Okay. Oh, I've got heaps of time. This is a good illustration, I think. When, um, when we first came to faith back in the day, um, if you knew anything about my background, I think I might have mentioned it at some point, but um, we, we were kind of an average family, and, and money was always pretty tight in our family, and um, that's just the way it was. Love, was uh, love abounded, and that was never an issue, um, but, but money was tight. I always remember growing up that way. So I grew up with this kind of um, fear, if you like. Fear about not having enough. Anyone can identify with this? Don't put your hand up. Always had this fear. So at age 28, I met Jesus, and that was an amazing experience. I'd found what I really needed, what I was looking for, and changed my life. Um, but that encounter that I had that day, which was transformative, um, I never gave money a thought, never, never thought about it. Well, somewhere along the line, I have to start giving to the church. And then I'm reading my Bible. I might have been the next day at church. I'm not sure. Uh, the next Sunday at church, when they do the offering kind of thing, I thought, well, "What's this all about?" You know. And so, does anyone identify with this? And so, for somebody who was fearful around money because of the lack of it, I, give me more, please, kind of thing was, but the lack of it, fearful. Um, now I'm giving, well, then was kind of like giving God 10% of what Christine and I are earning. And at the time we were renting a house, we hadn't bought our first home, um, we hadn't had children, we wanted to start a family. And I'm thinking, <laughs> how does this work? <laughs> kind of thing. Anyone been there? You might be there even now. So I had to work that issue through myself, and because I'm the type of person, I'm one of these people. Please don't tell me what the Bible says. Show me it. Show me it in your life. Don't talk to me about grace and and truthfulness and all that kind of stuff. Actually, show show me that in your life, and and I'll follow. And we were in a church that were just like that. They were wonderful. People were being saved on a weekly basis. It wasn't just transfer growth. It was both going on. The church was absolutely buzzing. We had wonderful leaders and and elders and all of that kind of stuff. And Christine and I just fell in love with Jesus. And we loved the church. So it's a great scene. But this whole giving thing, whoa, (laughs) hang on a minute, kind of thing. Anyway, I had to work it through myself. And I got there in the end. And we started, um, Christine and I started tithing. Never regretted it, um, we, we started having a family, moved to Christchurch way back then, um, and eventually we bought our first home, it was just a, um, it was an ex-state house in Rickerton, um, just a little box of a house, I think I shared this some months ago, I think we paid $83,000 for it, Eighty three. dollars I mean, that's not even a deposit today, is it? We paid $83,000 for this house, or something like that, it might have been eighty five. dollars Got in on the, on the smell of an oily rag with the skin of our teeth. We were mortgaged to the eyeballs. Um, Chris wasn't working. That was a personal decision we made. We wanted one of the parents to be at home for our children. So that's, we decided to do that. She could have gone to work. She was a teacher. She would have got a job, no problem. We would have been economically better off. But we made that choice. I'm not saying that you have to make the same. We made that choice. But boy, things were tight. For the first five years... They were really tight. But you know what? I can stand here confidently and say to you, we paid our mortgage, we paid our rates, we paid our insurance, we had food on the table, we clothed our children, we might have had our clothes go round and round the mountain a few times, but we were okay and God always provided. We never ran short at any time and we always gave. Always. God is no one's debtor. When we do what he asks us to do, without being coerced, forced, manipulated, we've got to pray and work it out ourselves. We have to do that. That's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. But when we obey what God has asked us to do, I can promise you, because this has been my experience, God never sees us run short ever did that happen for us and then of course over the years our economy has increased and we're in a different position now but back in those days boy you know we had to take the test every time we got paid would you like me to illustrate that what I'm just preaching about right now would you like me to illustrate that for you in real time would you like me to? To give you an illustration of what I've just said in real time. Okay? Karen, there is a $100 note. I want you to hold it. I to give it to you, you realise I'm not giving it to you, Bruce? <laughs> yeah, no. I'll never get it back. Sure. Hold it. I want you to take that. I want you to double-check that that is a genuine $100 note. New Zealand, $100 note legal tender. Is it? Bruce, is it real? It's not a monopoly thing? Yeah. I can tell you it is a real $100 note, because I, I didn't get it out of the church bank account, I got it out of mine. Because when I was preparing this message some weeks ago, for me, when I prepare messages, often it comes in, I get a bit here and a bit there, and I just kind of build it up over a period of time. And 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 so when I was preparing this message, God, I believe, you you don't have to believe this. And I really don't care if you do or not. But God said to me to do what I'm doing right now. So I'm just being obedient. Okay? Whether you, whether you believe it or not is irrelevant to me. I'm just doing what I believe God told me to do, Tory. Okay, so he said, "Go and get that hundred-dollar note, and I want you to do what I'm just doing right now." Um, so that's a real hundred-dollar note. Yep. Well, that's yours. It's yours. I don't want it back. In fact, please don't give it back because I'll probably throw it away. That's yours. Now, there's two things going on here right now. One is, why didn't Paul give it to me? (laughs) But here's the point. What you saw me do, that $100 note left my hand, but it has not left my life. That $100 note came out of my wallet, out of my bank account. And I willingly and obediently gave it to Karen from my hand. And it left my hand. But it did not leave my life. You know why? Because I'm doing what God asked me to do. And you might be thinking to yourself, well... God says that he'll return back 30, 60, and 100 fold, and he does. So my carnal mind would say that, um, well, maybe, maybe um, I'll get 30 times back, or 60 times back, or 100 times back, and I may well do. Maybe. But you know what? It can come back in so many ways. It can come back in, um, um, uh, if, I'm, if, I, if I'm looking for a job. And i have got a job change. It could come back in, in the form of, of something that I never expected in, in work environment. It could come back. Back into my life in a relational way, some relationship thing that that that's that's not going great, and I've been praying, God, what do we do about this? It could come back into my life in that way, Amy. It could come back into my life in, in an economic way. It could be that we're we're we're, we're um, um, selling our house and we're wanting to 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 upsize because not in our case because we had, we had our babies, but we're having more children, and, and and we want a bigger home, and we don't have the the means for that. It can come back to your life in that way. It can come back to your life in so many ways. Don't limit God just to money. That's the point. It can come back to your life in the form of health. There are so many ways that God can return 30, 60, and 100-fold. But I think we limit him so much. And God says to us, you know, I want you to, um, to give this or whatever, it ha- like I just did then. And, I'm, and this happened, by the way, Karen, when I'm out doing my walk, because often that happens for me. I get this download from God saying, you've got to do this. And I went, really? Really? And you know what, Karen? I hope you are blessed. Enjoy it. Don't give any to Bruce. Enjoy it. <laughs> Except on this. <laughs> yeah. Can I have the music team come up, please? Let me summarize. What is abundantly clear in Scripture from tithing a tenth under the law to giving under the new covenant of grace which we are in now and under now is this under the law a tithe of their income was 10% and it was expected the other 90% was theirs to do with whatever they wanted, they could use it as an offering whatever but under the New Testament covenant of grace, which we are under. We are not owners of our money, folks. We're stewards. Because it all belongs to Him anyway. He entrusts it to us. Under the new covenant of grace, everything we have belongs to God. Under the new covenant of grace, you are responsible for asking God, How much you are to give, 2 Corinthians 8, 11, again says, according to your means. You ask him. Don't ask the elders. Don't ask me. Work it out yourself. So the issue, church, it's not what you give. It's that you give. The widow's might. she had the least amount of money on her. She decided to give it all. She believed God had told her to do that. And we still preach about her today. What about the boy? Um, Brenda, you mentioned it this morning with his, with his lunch. Just bought a simple, how many loaves was it? And five loaves and two fish or something. Did I get that around the right way? Yeah, I'm sure I'm a preacher. I should get it right. Um, and, and what did God do with it? multiplied it exponentially because he was obedient to that word. This is the point. Don't let any preacher get up and manipulate you and say, we've got this building program coming up. We all have to give $50,000 each to it. Don't let that happen. That is complete nonsense. That's not biblical. But what is biblical? Go before God. You go before God. If you're here this morning and somehow this is an issue that's penetrating your spirit and you're thinking, wow, Paul, you know, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. I hope he is. We're not talking about money this morning because this church is broke. It's not. We haven't got a, it's not that we've got a lack of finance. We don't have a lack of finances. We're in a very, very good place. So we're not speaking about this that somehow coerce you to give more money. That's not what you're hearing. But there is a principle here for all of us. That God says, um, when, when, when we're obedient, we follow the things that he says, increase and multiplication come into our own lives. That's what I'm trying to encourage you with. But please don't ask me how much you should give. So it's not what you give. But that you give. Under the new covenant of grace, giving. And what happens here is God gives us the responsibility. To steward what is actually his. He's entrusting it to you. That's what he's doing. You know you know when you come under pressure, um, uh, any sort of pressure it might be pressure at work. Pressure to do this or pressure to do that, peer pressure, um, pressure to um, go to university or become this and whatever it happens to be. When we come under pressure, um, most of you you would recognise and it's and, it, and it's known that the real me gets exposed pretty quickly when we come under pressure. Would you agree with that? When we come under pressure—emotional pressure, relational pressure, economic pressure, um, whatever—what normally happens is when we're in that situation, we get exposed. Yeah, we find out who we really are. But when God asks us to be be obedient, it's then that we find out who He is. Well, well. That's when we find out who he is. I keep looking at the clock, church, because I'm a stickler for time, and I don't want this to go on above and beyond, but I just feel quite compelled to share this with you on the obedience thing. So we've got some minutes. Using Christine and Paul as another illustration, um, After, that, after we'd bought that first, our first little box home that we placed, we sold it five years later. It had actually increased in value, so I was pretty excited about that. Um, not a lot, but it was, was pretty cool. And we were um, uh, wanting to increase um, just the size of our, our, our home, and we were in a, in a position. Anyway, long story short, we had um, um, a, a sum of money come into our economy around about the same time. And when it came in, it was physically in the bank, I remember looking at it, and this is year of little faith, me, uh, I remember looking at it and thinking, do I have to tie that? Anyone been there? Should I? And for weeks, and serious weeks, this battle went on in my mind. Should I or shouldn't I? And oh gosh, okay, because we're talking a significant amount of money. Anyway, we found this house that we really loved and wanted to buy it. But it was twenty. Um, um, no, forget I just said that. It was above our, our our economy. We just couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford it. Anyway, we thought this was for us, this place, and we prayed about it, and felt this was the house for us. Long story short, before all that happened, I I came to the to the point where I submitted to what God was say, saying about the tithing that 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 sum of money because I went I talked to Christine about it she had no problem with tithing it I was the one that had the problem she said what's what's wrong with you just do it you know God's been faithful back here why wouldn't he be faithful now going okay darling you're fine so I did it I tied the thing and it was great I felt felt a release anyway by doing that anyway so come back to this house thing so the difference between what we could afford and what they wanted for this house We took it to the Lord and we had a number of people praying for us about this particular situation. Do you know? They accepted our offer. There were other offers. They accepted our offer, and the difference was exactly the amount that we had to tithe. And I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars, not just a thousand, five hundred, or fifteen hundred. The difference. Between our offer and what that home was worth and what they signed up and said, the house is yours, Denise, was exactly to the dollar what I had struggled to give him. Isn't that just how God works? I want you to hear this. It wasn't actually about the money. It was about my heart. Hey, Graham, it was about my heart, mate. that was the real issue and when I did it God's way boy did the kingdom of heaven open up such a blessing we couldn't contain it please stand how do we land this Robert you're going to leave it up to me aren't you oh that's right you're still recovering you can relax Denise what are we going to do I don't know. i tell you what we're going to do. I've had this scripture running through my, my mind. All week. And in the prayer meeting, before the service, that came, it came out in the prayer meeting. I think it was you, Brenda, actually. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you would have life and have it to the full. That verse, in its context, when it says life to the full, it's not talking about eternity. It includes eternity, but he's talking about life now. So it's both. It's inclusive. I would that you put your name there, say your name and your spirit or out loud. I would that you, whoever you are, would have life and you'd have it to the full. It's talking about life now and in eternity. The enemy seeks to kill and destroy. Seeks to rob us. And he's a master at it. He tried to take Robert from us this week. It didn't happen. Praise God for that. If it had to happen, what would we be doing now? We'd probably be having his funeral. But we're not. We're celebrating. Because that was not his time. Thank God for that. His time will come. Sometime. As will mine and as will yours. But that was not his time. Can I say this, Robert? I believe the enemy was trying to take you out. Because of who you are, what you've, you've carried this church incredibly, and the eldership, what you have sown into the life of this church over many, many years has been phenomenal. Your treasures in heaven, may probably way beyond anything that I would ever get. So I believe the enemy was trying to take you out but he didn't succeed and we're very very grateful for that but that same principle is true for your life which includes your health and your wealth your economy your relationships everything satan is a master at killing seeking seeking killing and destroying isn't that right don he's a master at it i want to say to you this morning church Keep your eyes focused on Jesus the whole time. If there's something that you're not sure of, go back to His Word. What does God say about this particular situation? Stuff comes at us in life. Instead of caving in and like we heard in the, the, the prayer series, instead of fainting or losing heart or giving up, Heather, what does God say about this? That's what matters. That's what counts. And that's what's going to win the day or not. If you don't do that, does that make sense, church? So we're going to sing something, aren't we, Amy? Thank you, Amy. Isn't she a wonderful worship leader, this girl? Wonderful. Um, uh, So don't disappoint me, Amy. What are we singing? (laughs) Fall afresh, yep, fall afresh. Um, (coughs) If you would like us to pray, this, this church believes in prayer big time. If you'd like prayer for any situation, not just, not just the economic stuff. That was just a message that, that we preached. But anything whatsoever, if you feel like the enemy is robbing you of your future, your destiny, even a health situation, whatever it happens to be, it might be an economic thing. Let us pray for you. Come down the front. Let the, the saints gather around and let us pray for you. Don't leave here today the same way that you came. Let God do what only God can do. So while the song is playing, if you'd like to come down for a prayer, we'll do that. Otherwise, Amy will finish at some point and invite everyone to go out to the cafe. Praise God. Have a great day, church.